Hi everyone, and welcome to Aval Cafe. My name is Brian Hostler, founder of Strong Roots Consulting, based in Saskatoon, Saskatchewan. I'm joined as always by my co-host, Carolyn Kamen. Hi everyone, this is Carolyn. I'm an independent evaluation consultant working out of Vancouver, BC. This podcast is an informal chat on evaluation topics, the kind you might overhear at your favorite coffee shop if your favorite coffee shop were frequented by evaluators. This podcast is for everyone, expert or novice, longtime practitioner, or just starting in the field. Even if you don't identify as an evaluator, as long as you have an interest in evaluation, this podcast is for you. Today, we're joined by Dana Wanzer, an evaluation consultant in Southern California. Dana specializes in programs serving children and youth and is currently working on her doctoral degree in evaluation and applied research methods at Claremont Graduate University. Her most recent work involves studying how the context of programs affect evaluation designs. You can find Dana on Twitter by going to at Dana Wanzer, W-A-N-Z-E-R, and she's joining us today to talk about why more evaluators should be using Twitter. So first of all, welcome, Dana. Thanks for having me on, Carolyn and Brian. Glad to be here. Yeah, it's really exciting. So this uh, podcast actually came out of um, a really recent idea that you had to get a bunch of evaluators together to talk about why Twitter is important to us and to our profession. Um, What was it that sparked that interest for you? Well, so in the AEA conference in 2016, um, I was pretty heavily on Twitter at that point. And somebody on Twitter was like, hey, anybody else on Twitter want to go have lunch? And so I was like, sure. Um, so at that time, that was Anne Emery, Kim Mantrock, and myself. We all just had uh, lunch together at the conference. I got to meet people that I hadn't met previously and um, just talk about Twitter and evaluation and our professions and so on. And I really enjoyed that. So I decided next year that I would plan it and try to get more people to join. Um, so this year at uh, AEA 2017, we had a dozen people show up for lunch. Um, it was awesome. From all over, we had some some individuals from India. We had a librarian evaluator. I had a few people that I had met at previous conferences, and we just all got together. And um, I had everybody go around and just say, like, why are you on Twitter? Like, what, what benefit do you find from it? And everybody had a unique answer. Like, the things they're getting out of it, the um, benefits, um, things that, um, job opportunities that have come up and, um, but also using evaluation, uh, sorry, using Twitter as an evaluation method. Some people are actually using, like analyzing Twitter feeds to see how, for instance, um, a social marketing campaign is doing. Um, and it's just, there's a wide range of possibilities for Twitter for evaluators that I think more people could be taking advantage of. So we have a working group right now um, to, to basically tell everybody about the benefits and hopefully get more people from the evaluation world onto Twitter so that we can have um, a greater conversations going on in eval Twitter. Yeah, and I think Brian and I are both part of that working group and uh, there's some really interesting conversations that are happening and I'm excited to see what comes out of it. So, and, and this podcast is one of the things that's come out of it so far, which is really exciting and a nice blend of social media platforms for us all because of course we also advertise our podcast through Twitter. Um, so when we talked about how to do this episode, we decided to do more of a conversational round robin, um, type of format, which we like, and we picked out a few topics ahead of time, um, that we're all just going to, you know, chat about some of these eval Twitter related topics. So the first one was, uh, getting started on Twitter. You know, why did we join? What was it like? How do we figure it out? So Dana, do you want to kick us off? Sure. 
Um, so I had, to, I had to look back a little bit earlier today to find out when I started Twitter. Um, apparently, it was November 2015, so right around um, the AEA conference. And <laughs> I looked through my tweets and it's like, ah, I was all over the place. Um, so it's definitely take a while for me to kind of figure out what is this Twitter thing? What are retweets? Um, how do I how do I tag somebody in a conversation without it being a direct message? Because apparently that was a thing a long time ago, but it's not so much an issue now. Um, so trying to figure out oh, threading. Threading was the worst, right? Trying to figure out how to thread tweets, right? Um, so I it took a while. I watched a lot. Like, what are other people doing? How are they doing it? Um, and that was really helpful. But I think these days um, we have a lot more... Um, guides out there on how to use Twitter. I mean, um, Elizabeth Grimm just came out with a four-point, four-part series on how to use Twitter um, that are really helpful, like how to use tags appropriately and and how to find your network of community and so on. So um, I didn't have that, or at least I didn't look for it very hard, but at least it's out there now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. It takes some time just to kind of learn the tool and just feel comfortable and I think, um, can't speak for you, Carolyn, but no, for me, it definitely was kind of more watching and seeing and just learning a bit more about the platform just by staying kind of quiet and being able to chime in here and there where I was feeling comfortable to do so. Yeah, it was it was the same for me. Uh, I just checked the date and I joined Twitter in um, April 2015, which I think is significant because I moved to Vancouver in January 2015. And, and that was a big um, deal for me because I left behind my entire network, you know, people like Brian who had been um, you know, part of my professional group. And I think Twitter was one of those ways that I rebuilt my professional group. And but when I first joined, I joined in April, and I probably didn't really tweet anything significant until uh, the AEA conference, the 2015 AEA conference, which I didn't get to go to, but which I followed from afar on Twitter, and uh, started just tweeting content because they were streaming so much of the content online, I could still watch it, I could still tweet about it, and actually got to participate in the conference that way. And also, that was when I first started getting some followers up until then, like, it's, how do you get followers on, on Twitter was one of my first questions, like, how do you how do you break in? How do you meet people? But that was a big deal. Um, and yeah, every time I, I tweet during a conference, I pick up some more people. Yeah, that's a good way to connect into that. And uh... I think my or I'm feeling like the veteran in the group here because I think my Twitter account goes back to 2012 when I started the business uh, here in, in Saskatoon. And I have a personal one which goes even further back where we had 140 characters and we liked it. You know, we didn't have this crazy 280 character. You guys have all gone soft. I don't know. But uh, <laughs> yeah, it's uh, um, I think likewise, like what you were saying, Carolyn, it was uh, I was moving to a new city, started a new business, was kind of. Uh, really coming into the evaluation field and just found it the platform was a good way just to connect into these different networks, these uh, these new networks, just to see what's happening, to learn, to put my two cents out there every now and again, and just uh, yeah, become a bit more part of a community. Yeah, to go off of that, um, November 2015 was about the time I started finishing coursework at Claremont Graduate University, and when in a graduate school, once you start finishing coursework, you're kind of on your own at that point. And I really missed having my cohort around and seeing them daily or even weekly. I didn't really have that anymore. And I found that Twitter helped fill that void for me and helped me continue kind of that professional development, see what's going on in the world without um, resorting to things like conferences, which are once a year, journal publications, which take forever and so on. Like I could see daily what's what's happening. So. 
-hmm. Not to be too much of a researcher about this, but I'm seeing some common themes (laughs) arise from our experiences that, yeah, Twitter is a place that we turn to to replenish our professional networks when we lost contact. Definitely. So the next topic that we had was um, what's your biggest Twitter highlight so far? I was looking at this one and I was having a hard time thinking about it because I don't know if I have a highlight so much as the, the, the fact that I have met so many people from the evaluation community and, and you know similar communities has been the greatest highlight that I could think of. I have met the theorists that I read about. I have met the data visualization experts that I love to follow. I, I get to be on a podcast about evaluation because of our networking on Twitter, right? Um, but also, like, I, I'm, I'm a bit of an introvert. Um, there's a really interesting AEA365 post about, like, networking for introverts. And honestly, when everybody's like, oh, you're such a great networker, Dana, like all this, my friends at school, I'm like, yeah, I just, I go on Twitter and I make friends. And then I'm like, I'm a little bit more comfortable and now we can talk and I don't feel so awkward, right? Um, and just being able to meet everybody like that versus cold call, you know, cold call emailing or just walking up at a conference being like, I'm your biggest fan, you know, um, which I'm sure, oh my God, MQP, that fits in right there, right? There we go. <laughs> um, Michael Quinn I'm sure gets a lot of people like that. And versus like, I, we, I follow him on Twitter and he engages with me sometimes. So I get to feel like I'm, I'm a little bit on the in, in the evaluation community like that. Mm-hmm. So you go away from saying I'm your biggest fan to saying, hey, I know you because I follow you on Twitter. And they're like, uh, do you, yeah, right. <laughs> are we friends? I don't know. So <laughs> I've had that happen. Like, I recognize you because I follow you on Twitter. So you don't know who I am. But sometimes I do, actually. Yeah. So if we've had conversations online and then we actually be like, hey, I actually get to meet you in person now. Exactly. It helps um, at our school. We have a, a workshops every year as well in August. Um, and I'm in charge of the, or at least I was for the past four years, in charge of the um, online engagement portion, so the online webinar portion. And so um, a lot of theorists would come then too. So like people like Michael Quimpat and David Fetterman and so on, I'd meet them, I'd see them yearly. And like that, plus the conference, plus Twitter, like I now I can just be like, hey, David, what's up? You know, and he recognizes me and it's it's kind of cool. I, 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 but I think... Honestly, it's Twitter that's helped the most, not so much the webinars or the conferences It's Twitter and that constant engagement. I think, and this is something that goes beyond Twitter itself. One of the things that I love about evaluation in general is how approachable all of our our heroes are, you know? Mm -hmm. Like there's no one in evaluation who's so big that you can't just go up to them at a conference and say, hey, I love your work. Um, you know, I remember the first time I was at AEA, I went to a workshop that was being done by John Gargani and Stuart Donaldson. And I admit when I got there, I didn't know who they were. They were just two guys who ran a really good workshop that I went to. And they were so helpful. They made sure when I went up and said, hey, I'm interested in, in, in Claremont and I want to learn more about that. And I ended up not that was pricey. Yes. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Worth it, I believe. But pricey for where I'm at in my life right now. Um, but they were really helpful in you know making sure that I connected with some of the 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 students and staff at Claremont. Um, and Dan, I don't think I met you that year, but I met a lot of great people from your program um, who all seem really just terrific. And I thought, oh my God, this is a, a current and future AEA presidents. And they re- they remembered my face from meeting me once and said, oh, hey, did you, ma- did you meet so-and-so? Like, that's so great. And, yeah. um, but I mean, so one of my biggest Twitter highlights was 
um, when I first got to Vancouver, I asked Brian, who should I, who should I talk to? Who's here that I can meet? And he gave me two names. And Sarah Farina was amazing to meet right away. She's our uh, outgoing CES BCY chapter president, and she's phenomenal. The other name he gave me was Kylie Hutchinson. And I didn't reach out to Kylie right away because she lives in Gibson. She's very busy, whereas Sarah lives in my neighborhood. Um, but I, I sort of had been nurturing this sort of like, oh, man, I, can't, I hope one day I get to meet Kylie Hutchinson kind of feeling. Well, we had her here on our last podcast. She would, you know... We met on Twitter eventually, finally. My biggest Twitter highlight was, was the day I finally got noticed by Kylie on Twitter. Um, and actually, she's, she's a normal human being. She's very down to earth. She's very approachable. Um, we connected at the CES conference um, back in May. And she was like, oh, yeah, you know, I've, I've seen you on Twitter. It seems like we have a lot in common. We should, you know, meet for coffee sometime. And I thought, this is great. This is amazing. I don't know that I would have connected with Kylie if it hadn't been for Twitter. Um, because even though we live very much in the same region, people are busy. It's hard to, you know, you don't always meet someone at those in-person events. Having that online platform where you could just put your thoughts out and, and, and like what someone says and retweet what someone says and interact and engage in such an easy, low barrier. And I think low pressure kind of way. You're not like suddenly in a situation where you're face to face having a conversation. It's just like these sort of easy, fun little messages. And, and that can lead to great things. Yeah, definitely. I th I think the the nice thing about Twitter when people put their actual photos up of their you know of a headshot up is that I had people coming up and like you're Dana Wanser at the last conference. So I'm like I am. Who are you? Right? And like they <laughs> recognized me. I I walk up to the they had a meet the author section. I walk up and I was like, oh, there's Kylie Hutchinson. Like I recognize her. Right? You, you don't recognize somebody from their name. You recognize them from their their face. Right? So I walked up and she's like, Dana, you know, and it's just like, we had never met before. And just to be able to like have somebody recognize you, not because of your name, but because of your face and just through Twitter, right? It's just amazing. <laughs> Brian, what eval celebrity have you met through Twitter? Hmm. I would say uh, first one that comes to mind is uh, Chris Lisi, who is the evaluation cartoonist. Um, AA 2015, I guess it would be in Chicago. Um, there was a couple of kind of Twitter meetups there as well, and uh, including one where uh, Chris was doing some live streaming of evaluation cartooning and everything. And he made me a great little, great little cartoon because I had a 7 a.m. session, so we had like this little. I'll find in the I'll put in the show notes, but this little cartoon of like, "Hi, my name is Brian, and I'm a member of the 7 a.m. presentation club," and. There's so many of us who are members of that club, but not not many of them in my audience because who wants to get up for a 7 a.m. presentation? But right. I say that's that's one of the Twitter celebrities. Um, there's someone else whose name is completely I'm completely blanking on. She's from Rochester, New York. Why am Sheila I Sheila? Things? Yes, yes, Sheila Robinson. So there's a there's another celebrity. I think that was 2014 in Denver, uh, which is the last AEA that both you and I attended together. I think Carolyn. I remember correctly and we we're yes, both in we walking casts which we were is both in walking story. casts yeah <laughs> oh no yeah evaluation you know can be I, a hazardous profession i emailed sheila um a couple of weeks um a little while ago about uh, an aea 365 blog post um and i hadn't ever sort of contacted her or reached out to her before but when she emailed back and she's she's great she was like oh and i follow you on twitter i love your tweets <laughs> so there yeah there it is again it's so nice to have this connected community of evaluation Twitterers. And you know what, Brian, um, I want to mention, Dana already brought up that um, four-part series um, that Elizabeth Grimm did on, on using Twitter. There's actually a fifth, 
there's a bonus post as well. And if you look at that bonus post, Brian, there's a picture of you there with Chris and everyone from that original session. So we'll have to link that one in our show notes too. Nice. Yeah, I remember that. That was good. <laughs> right. So maybe just moving on to another question. And since we're all uh, more kind of independent uh, practitioners to some degree, uh, how do you use Twitter specifically in your practice, uh, in your evaluation practice? And how, do you, how are you using it now? And maybe what are you hoping to use it for in the future? Yeah. So right now, I think it's just I use Twitter to engage in the field, just broadly speaking, um, follow fellow evaluators, um, try to see what's going on, what are the latest things happening. Um, I love when resources are shared, so I, I grab those and download to read later. Um, but I think in the future, I'm really excited hearing some of the stories from fellow evaluators about the networking opportunities that have come out um, in terms of getting jobs and whatnot. Because I know in about a year and a half, I will be on the job market. And I'm kind of excited to try using Twitter as one of the main vehicles for which I look for a job. Um, Of course, you know, sending out applications and whatnot, but just putting out there, hey, I'm looking for a job on Twitter might be a really great way to find that perfect job that I'm looking for. I I can tell you that I have been able to get two jobs via Twitter so far. Wow. Uh, my current job, uh, one of the jobs I work at, I saw a job posting for. Um, Tribly Smith at the Vancouver Foundation shared it. She's really great for sending around um, job postings in our area. And then another one was just through the connections and networks that I made. I, I um, am doing some work for another consultant based on the connections we have on Twitter. So there's two different ways in which I was able to get work from Twitter um, networking. So it definitely can happen. Speaking of that, there is a new... Um, uh, website out basically evaluationjobs.org right and um hashtag eval jobs and now we're getting repository of eval jobs um, previously it was kind of all over the place we had some posted in like the washington evaluation network the i'm sure canadian has their own network um the american evaluation so- uh, association has theirs linkedin it was all over the place right and and they weren't i mean they're all evaluation right but it's hard to find a job that says evaluator and so now they're pulling it all together and RFPs as well. Um, so we have this repository now that I'm really excited to know about so that in a year or two that I can just pop on there and be like, oh, I don't want to live in this location. It's a little too cold for me. <laughs> <laughs> we have beautiful summers up here. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I've, uh, I've looked through the eval jobs. I've looked through the, the format of their website, and it's really nice that you can search based on location. And um, yeah, like the format that it brings things up is, is really useful. So that's cool to see there. And I'm excited about that because anything that gets more people in to the profession, especially new and emerging professionals who are coming out of school. And, you know, if you aren't able to get into a job um, quickly, then I think that's where the profession we could start, we could start losing people uh, as mm-hmm. they have to move into other professions in order to, to, you know, make, get by. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Brian, how do you use Twitter in your practice? Or, or is there a way you want to use it in your practice? Uh, I think the main way I use it right now is actually around conferences and learning events. I somehow kind of stumbled upon using it as a note-taking tool. So if I'm listening to a presenter, if I'm in a concurrent session, if it's a plenary, I kind of think to myself, um, maybe it's just trying to move away from the student mindset where you write down everything the person is saying, you know, close to verbatim. And sometimes where it's just like, okay, get all this information down. I try to pick out kind of what are the, what's the key point? What's the, what do I want to share with the whole universe in 140 or now 280 uh, characters or less? Um, 
So I found that that's kind of my main primary use of it. I just kind of get my phone or my iPad usually. It's a lot easier with, with a device with an external keyboard to kind of type away things normally um, and just say, okay, what are the main things? And then I can go back to that later on and say, yeah, what were those key points? And it also is a way for people who aren't at the conference or the event to kind of you know, pick that up. I'm quite sure I maybe lose some followers when I'm at a conference because like, Jesus guys filling up my, my Twitter feed with all these like random evaluation things. But if they were not wanting that, then they probably shouldn't be following me anyway, honestly. But so that's my main use of it right now, but I'm thinking, yeah, maybe trying to use it more in between those kind of events. Um, and just trying to yeah, engage more and, uh, um, well, also making sure it doesn't become just a huge time sink where I spend all my time on Twitter and not actually, you know, doing evaluation. <laughs> but uh, maybe the other thing I might change, and this goes back to the conversation about having, you know, a real person's picture. Right now, my primary Twitter account is my business account. So I'm thinking about maybe do I set up a separate professional but personal account? So maybe there'll be the Strong Roots, which is more official, and then maybe Strong Roots Brian or something and have that more as the individual. But I already have too many Twitter accounts, it feels like anyway, so I'm not sure if I want to go down that road. The most frustrating thing, if I could change one thing about Twitter as a platform, it would be to have an easy account switching mechanism. Because what I have right now is I have multiple browsers that I use, and I use a different um, browser for every diff- <clears throat> for every single account so that I don't have to try to like log out and log back in. It's just, just so annoying. But gosh, if you could just if you could just easily switch between them. Brian, I noticed you mentioned something that Dana brought up earlier, which was the importance of having your face as your um, profile picture. And actually, both Brian and I violate this principle. Um, (laughs) I have some weird checkered pattern that I found um, with a Creative Commons license on on Google Image Search. And and Brian, you have your logo. And, And I know that this is... I know that it's what you're supposed to. You're supposed to have your face so that it's more, you know, people can connect with it more. Um... I hate pictures of my face. I'm one of those people. I really, (laughs) I'll do anything I can to avoid having a picture of my face on something. But I wonder if it does hold me back on Twitter sometimes. I don't know, Brian, do you have thoughts about your face and and your Twitter? I don't have any problem with my face, honestly. But um, I mean, I know some folks who will do like more for Facebook pictures. They'll do like an oblique angle or just like focus in on part of their face so that people who know them can recognize. But it's not like, yeah, here's my face for anyone to steal and unlock phones with. I don't know what people would do with faces. But um, yeah, so I mean, I don't know if it's if it's I mean, maybe the logo is a bit more professional, um, not just having a, a, a poor quality selfie. Um, but, or like, you know, like a staged headshot. So yeah, I, I don't have, I haven't had anyone complain to me about using a logo, but, uh, if they really did not like it, they wouldn't talk to me. So. Dana, do you find that when you see someone who doesn't have their own face there, but has an other, another image, do you find it harder to relate to the, those accounts or are you less likely to follow or engage? No, I don't, I don't think so. Some of my favorite accounts, they have like their dogs as their profile pictures. And, um, but I do appreciate that more dogs and cats on Twitter. I I cannot, you know, I'd be very happy about that. Um, it's nice when you go to a conference though, to be able to, like, I've seen your face hundreds of thousands of times because I check my Twitter every day. Right. And like, then I meet you at a conference and it's easy to say like, 
Those little name tags are really hard to read from a distance. You have to get really up close and personal and <laughs> kind of staring at a very inappropriate area of somebody's body to <laughs> see their name, right? Versus I can just look at your face and be like, oh, I recognize you, Carolyn, right? Um, so I, I think it can be beneficial, but I do recognize that some people may not want to do it or um, feel that it's not beneficial in any regard to them. Mm-hmm. As a side note, I completely support more dogs and cats on Twitter. Uh, Carolyn and I did try to launch a meme, a Val Pug, back in November. It didn't really get much traction, but we can continue on with that maybe. Uh, There's been a few eval animals. Um, we had eval cat a long time ago. I don't know what happened with that. There's um, like eval raptor or something. Uh, it's like a dinosaur. Um, I think it's eval raptor. We'll have to look that to put in the show notes, but... Um, and then uh, Eval Pug. I didn't. I don't know if I remember Eval Pug. We're gonna have to look for that and bring it back up. <laughs> it was very short lived. <laughs> yeah, I think that's one thing that uh, the Eval Twitter community doesn't have enough of yet is memes. We, we yeah. definitely need more memes. Yeah. Well, I think Chris Lissy mm-hmm. is bringing that with his comics, right? We get we get that yeah. a little bit. I definitely try to put some some Chris Lissy into my stuff as much as I can. <laughs> and he did have a cartoon about the whole uh, placement of. Um, of conference name tags. So we'll put that in the oh, show notes as well. Oh, I don't know yes. if I've seen that. <laughs> I think there, at this point, there's a Chris Lissy comic for everything. It's Probably, that yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So we all pretty much agree that there's amazing, wonderful, great things about Twitter and, and in general and for evaluation specifically. But um, what are the downsides of using Twitter? What are the things that we should be aware of? I know for me, it's the time sink factor, Brian, I think you mentioned that already, that Mm -hmm. sometimes you can spend too much time like scrolling through and looking for the perfect reaction GIF to set off that, that tweet. And, you know, there's a a balance that needs to be found between using it to network and using it to procrastinate. Yeah, I I definitely noticed that time sink factor as well. But I think fortunately also it's um, taken away from my uh, posting on other social media. Uh, So I'm not kind of posting random stuff on Facebook anymore that I don't think my friends are very much interested in, like pictures of my dogs all the time. Um, Rather, I'm engaging more critically on Twitter. Um, And so I have all these other social media, but I focus so much on Twitter now that uh, it kind of balances out still. I probably still spend way too much time on it, but I I don't know. It hasn't negatively affected me so much yet, um, and I try to put it away when I'm at work. So, (laughs) Um, But some of the other downsides, I think, is, um, I mean, Twitter is not just about evaluation. There's um, obviously a big political side to it, and um, particularly in America right now, it can be a little... Uh, heartbreaking to be going through some of the stuff. And so that that can be hard. I try very hard to keep that out of my feed. Um, but there are some people who um, post really great stuff in my network that I really want to continue following, but also post a lot of political things that I don't necessarily want to be reading at the time. But um, so that can be a bit of a downer. Um, and then I think the other thing is in I don't think we have to worry about it in our field, but in some fields and some areas on Twitter, it can get a little nasty. Um, some people can get a little mean and hurtful, and uh, I mean, there's trolls galore if you get into certain realms of Twitter um, that can be hard to navigate. And I think I just, I just 
never engage. If I feel like anybody is starting to come down on me a little too rough, or if I see somebody posting something that I disagree with, but if I go down that rabbit hole, it's going to be nasty, I just decide not to. And that's been hard, but um, I find that I don't, I don't know, I don't get upset going through Twitter because of that. Um, so I see these things, but I can move on. Um, but it can be really hard to do that. Yeah, definitely. And I think that hits my two main downsides, the time sink and the, and the, fact that some people are not so nice and they, you know, belittle and attack others on online through, I mean, it's not just Twitter, obviously there's other online for that are used, uh, that, that happens in, but, uh, um, yeah. And sometimes it's for us just, yeah, setting boundaries, uh, practicing self-care. Uh, if you need some advice on that, there's episode four of this podcast where we talk a little bit about self-care, go back and listen to it. Self plug over. Um, yeah. Um, I mean, there's also other communities, um, I know, like, for our experience, uh, Carolyn and I use Slack, for example, as a bit more of a smaller, and the Eval Twitter community is also using Slack as a bit more of a smaller uh, smaller group community to have more, I don't know, not even say personal conversations, but maybe just some more detailed um, kind of conversations. So, uh, but yeah, I, I mean, I, I totally agree with those two downsides. Uh, Carolyn, do you have any downsides that you see kind of for using Twitter that we haven't covered yet? Yeah, I mean, I think I want to say I agree. the the question about um, the political side of Twitter. I, I know when I first joined, I was really, really careful about what I tweeted and retweeted, and I think even to the point where I looked at what I I looked at my um, my own tweets and thought, wow, this looks a little sterile almost. Like there's no, I wasn't bringing myself. I was afraid to bring myself onto it because I thought, wow, what if I make you know say a personal opinion or or and and it looks bad what if there's a um a potential collaborator or a client who looks at this and is like ooh ooh we don't want to work with that person um and what i eventually realized is that i think you do have to be conscious of your presentation anytime whether you're um meeting up at a at a workshop or attending a conference or um networking online through twitter you always have to be aware that there are other people around but you should still be yourself and be a person. And um, I've seen some people kind of criticize how openly political some evaluators are saying, that, you know, some of us wear our politics on our sleeves. But for me, yes, I do share some political opinions on Twitter. And it may result someday in, in a client thinking like, mm, that person may be a little too not the right fit for us. And that in fact, that's great, because then there's some filtering out of like, you know, if 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 it's not a good fit, I would like to know that ahead of time. And I would like a client to know that ahead of time. And I think being, you know, transparent about my values and my background and where I come from and what's important to me, that's, I think, better for me to do than to try to conceal and, and come off as this sort of very, very neutral, because being neutral is being political as well. It's just a different, a different uh, message. Right. Agreed. See, so, yeah, I think when it comes to the downsides, um, I don't know if it's a downside or not. I think it's something that we should be aware of when we use the platform, though. Mm -hmm. Definitely. Well, I think we're down to our last question, and that is um, looking at our own Twitter, our own timelines, and what are some popular tweets uh, from the past year? There's a website called followfly.co uh, where you can look up what are um, your own tweets from from past week, month, year, and order them by most likes or by most retweets. 
Um, Dana, I think yours is actually the same. Yep. Your, your most popular tweet from this past year has both the highest number of likes and the highest number of retweets in your timeline. So what, what did you have there? Yeah, so I was really happy about this. It, it's one of my uh, more recent blog posts that I did um, that eval is not applied research. Um, and it struck up a big conversation. Um, and I, I always retweet my blog posts, but this is the one that always gets the most interaction. Some people are like, yes, and some people are like, well. And um, so like John Lavelle has this great little... Um, uh, what's it called? The sand time, um, hourglass, an hourglass, um, hourglass figure that kind of, um, shows how research and evaluation are similar in some regards, and especially in terms of the methods and analysis, but differ in many regards. Um, and I like to share that. And it's been interesting because I try to share it with my research friends as well. Um, cause I, I go out and people think that they're doing evaluation when it's in my of you, they're doing a value, uh, they're doing research, right? And so I try to show them, it's like, well, I think I would still call this research, and here's why. And um, it's it's just to show that like we're we're a separate community, right? We're separate but related. Um, and so I was really proud that that was my most retweeted and most liked in the past year. So that's a good one. I think I interacted with that one a little bit myself. Well, we do, Carolyn. My, I have a different one for most liked and a different one for most retweeted. And I'm really pleased with, with both of them. Uh, and I'm, I'm not surprised either. So the one that had the most likes, it's actually, it's also one I have pinned at the top of my um, Twitter page, just because it's pretty great. And because I actually think I want to do this someday or do something like it. But it's, it was a reply to someone we were talking about um, using, I think it was survey methods in evaluation and we kind of arrived at the the classic evaluation answer of it depends um and so my my comment was one day i will publish a large book called the answer to every eval question and it will just say it depends on every page (laughs) so that was my most liked uh but my most retweeted one was i'm actually really pleased because this is a, a much older one so that one was pretty recent that was from july this one was from back in march and it was my first and only attempt so far at an eval um, cartoon uh, or comic. And it was my version of an overly honest logic model. Uh, I don't know <laughs> if you guys know overly honest methods, which in which, you know, scientists get very, very um, specific about what their methods actually are. It's a really funny hashtag and a really funny meme. Um, so this was a overly honest logic model where uh, inputs, everything we can get, participants, everyone who shows up <laughs> outputs anything we can think of outcomes something we hope <laughs> so that one got the most retweets nice nice <laughs> all right and for mine i have the most uh, likes actually both of them are both of these are from the evaluation from the canadian evaluation society 2017 conference in vancouver where i think i actually managed to top out the 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 twitter wall for uh the, the conference organizer set up a Twitter, like a, a monitor, which kind of had live updating. And I think by the end, I had the highest number of tweets, despite the fact that the official CES account was tweeting all their tweets in both English and French. So they had kind of double the tweets. So it's like, I was a little worried they might win on the technicality there of just re- having double the number <laughs> of tweets, but I managed to pull ahead, I think. Uh, so my liked one is 
my takeaway from evalc17, which was the hashtag for the conference, uh, so far, we as evaluators do not work in a vacuum. We must attend to history and culture, including our own. So I think just there's a lot of talk there about, um, especially from uh, with truth and reconciliation in Canada, uh, with Indigenous peoples, there's a, a strong current to that at the conference, and just just generally understanding that we as people are bringing our different perspectives, our clients have different perspectives, the programs, the communities we work with. Um, so just as an evaluator, we need to be understanding of that, and then just realize that we are also bringing our own perspectives and history and knowledge into that piece. So there's that. And then for retweets, um, it was a, um, a, uh, a conference presenter. Um, I'm not sure the person's name, uh, Coxis, K-O-C-S-I-S. But their, their point they were making and I was, uh, present, or was uh, sharing um, was think about your power as an evaluator. You choose, you choose whose voices are emphasized. Uh, knowledge and power relations are intertwined. And I think that kind of fits really well, actually, thematically with my most liked tweet. Um, that, again, with around voice, uh, we need to understand what voice we're bringing and realizing that we're not neutral in, in our work, that we, uh, by choosing what, what, um, what topics are emphasized, what findings we're bringing forward, uh, that could really have an impact on individuals and organizations and communities. So, yeah, apparently some very profound ones. And then my favorite one just more recently was wondering whether I could claim a deer stalker hat as a business expense if I go into more of a detective kind of mode with evaluation. But that's just a little ridiculous side piece. <laughs> <laughs> well, it sounds like there are, I mean, there are a couple of kind of uh, tweets that, really strike a chord of people. Um, funny tweets, obviously, get a lot of engagement. Both of mine were kind of funny tweets. Um, and also those sort of profound, insightful tweets are the ones that get you thinking about the profession and get, get people engaging, also also really popular. So if there are, are people out there who are new to Twitter and are wondering, hey, what kind of content um, will help me engage and connect with people, think funny and think profound. And I think also think images. Um, I think some of the best things that people post often have an image that is highly related to it, that, that people see the image and then want to read more like, wh Oh, what is this about? That always helps. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And when in doubt, get a cute animal. Exactly. <laughs> yep. One of my other blog posts has a, a sad pug. It was me, <laughs> um, lamenting over my first journal article rejection. And so I put a little sad pug. It's like, how do I got over it? <laughs> oh, yeah. I was gonna say really at the end of the day, um, if you're if you're tweeting, just tweet from the heart and and share what's interesting to you. And some stuff people won't see, won't notice, won't engage with. That's fine. That's normal. Uh, Twitter is very fast moving. Sometimes people don't catch everything. Um, if you're trying to advertise for something specific, definitely tweet it multiple times. And in fact, that's Brian. That's something you and I should probably be doing with our podcast episodes because I don't yeah. think people always see them. Mm -hmm. We only usually announce them once. We should we should be sending them out more than once. True. Yeah, every once in a while, you'll just happen to say something that strikes a chord with a lot of people. And it's always exciting to see the little notification bubbles start piling up. Mm -hmm. Exactly. And it, it, it's an exponential growth. <laughs> just keeps going and going. As long as you keep engaging on Twitter, your your followers will come, the retweets and likes will come. Mm -hmm. Definitely. And the final piece of advice, going back to the whole profile picture thing, whether it's a logo, whether it's your face, whether it's an abstract art, just replace that default Twitter egg image. Just that's best thing to do. Have something. Just 
don't have just the egg. Yes. It's probably the best thing to do. Definitely. <laughs> yeah. So that, that brings us to the end of the episode. That's a nice place to wrap up. But uh, Dana, I wanted to ask, is there anything that you would like our listeners to know about? Anything they should be paying attention to in the coming months? Well, so for our eval Twitter community, that our little working group that we have, um, we are going to be working on an AEA 365 blog week. Um, so we're working on that now. I think it's supposed to be in March or April. I think April. Um, so early spring. And so we're going to be talking about like benefits of Twitter, um, how to get on. And I think we're going to end with um, uh, scheduling a Twitter chat so that people can come on and we can have an hour-long Twitter chat, um, which I'm actually really excited about. I don't think I've seen an eval Twitter chat yet. Um, so this will be exciting, um, something new. and some, I haven't really participated in one before, so this will be, it'll be fresh and new and exciting. So um, I think that's the main thing. We're also planning on um, putting together a session for the AEA conference next uh, October in Cleveland. Um, so we'll be doing that. Um, also kind of like get, get new evaluators, new evaluators not on Twitter, onto Twitter and how to use it and so on. Um, so that's, that's kind of the passion right now that we're working on is just try to get people on Twitter and engaging. So if you have any questions, feel free to, I mean, get on Twitter and just direct message any of us, right? We're all pretty available in that regard. Um, but you can also just email me or, and you can find that on my website at danawanzer.com. So. Awesome. Awesome. That's great. Yeah. And I think, um, I think that AEA 365 blog week might be in March if I remember. Uh, from the Slack group, but we can, we'll double check and we'll put that information up on our uh, show notes. And also when the time comes, we are happy to promote and advertise um, something that's obviously very dear to our hearts on our Eval Cafe uh, Twitter feed. So I think that's it for this episode. Thank you, everyone. Thank you, Dana, so much. It's been fantastic having you. Thank you, Dana. Thanks. I've had a great time. Thank you. That's it for this episode of Eval Cafe. Thank you to all our listeners. Please check out the rest of our episodes on SoundCloud, iTunes, or Google Play, or by going through our website, evalcafe.wordpress.com. Don't forget to follow us on Twitter, at evalcafe, and if you want to drop us a line, you can find us at evalcafe.podcast at gmail.com. Musical credits go to Kevin McLeod at incompetech.com for Poppers and Prosecco, our intro theme, and Dispersion Relation, our outro, as well as to Tim at tabletopaudio.com for the lively cafe ambiance in our intro. All I can say is you're doing the sh- you're you're doing the show notes for this one is all I'm saying. So, <laughs> <laughs> including every person we reference, you're gonna find their Twitter. Oh gosh, <laughs> I can do that.